So this morning is the first Sunday in Lent. That is the season of the 40 days prior to Easter, not counting Sundays. And many Protestant denominations or faith communities practice this season. It is when we look deep within ourselves and try to intentionally grow closer to God. A lot of times people will give up something for Lent to when they crave that or want that. They realize that, you know, maybe Maybe we should crave something more of God, use that time to connect with God in a deeper way. A lot of people take something on, something that will make them healthier, more holistic. I hope you got a green journal uh, as you walked in. If you're worshiping with us online, if you'll send us a message via the chat feature or the email info at headingwest.org, we'll be glad to send you one of these. It has the talking points for the next six weeks in the front, and we invite you to take up the practice of journaling. You, you're probably groaning like, oh my gosh, I do not want to journal. I don't want to take that kind of time. One minute. I just asked for one minute a day to reflect on these principles that we're going to look at for the next six weeks. My name's Andrea Smith. I'm one of the pastors here. So if you're worshiping with us here in person or online, we extend a very special welcome to you. And we are beginning a new message series today in the season of Lent. And it, I can't even say the name of it because I might get it wrong. I want you to help me pronounce it first. So I want you to see a word up on the screen. Now, the the series is called Get. Ah, I heard a few discrepancies there. Uh, we do have a larger and apparently I sound like I'm from the north. Someone told me this morning because I say it the northern way and not the southern way. Apparently there are two ways to say this word. The first one is the way that I say it. So of course I think it's right. And it is with a long A sound, naked. Now there's another way of saying it apparently. A friend of mine said it this morning. It's called there you go. There you go. So naked versus Naked. I prefer naked. Don't you think it's a much more sophisticated way of sounding, you know, that phrase? And so today we are going to get naked together. Now, I, I tried to, we do things different here at West, if you haven't noticed that before. Uh, so I was trying to think of something that would forever ingrain these principles that we're getting ready to explore during the season of Lent, forever ingrain them in your minds, because it's, it's pretty important. So um, I thought, what if I had our greeters come down front and have some small hand towels and volunteer to give those out to anyone who was willing to get naked or naked, get naked this morning. And then I was going to have you stand up if you were willing to get naked. And then I had some anxiety because you know what? I would not be surprised if some of you weren't willing to get naked. And then I realized I would like to keep my appointment here and continue to be ordained a minister in the United Methodist Church. So therefore, nudist churches were probably not a good idea. So the bathrobes, you'll see various people in leadership this morning wearing bathrobes for a reason. You know, if I were to take off the robe, you would see things you would never, ever, 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 ever want to see. They don't laugh at that. That's so sad. I'll be, I'll be weeping alone tonight. Um, the point is, we are afraid to get 
naked. And not naked physically, although some of us are afraid of that. We don't like what we see, but naked spiritually. I want you to take a look at this quote by Brian McLaren. He wrote the book Naked Spirituality, and that's sort of what we're using in our small groups during this season. The quote by Brian is, naked spirituality, this is when we strip away the symbols and status of public religion and attend to the well-being of our souls. Over the past six months to a year in various ways, I've been asking you, tell me what it is that you would like to hear and what is it that you would like to learn as a part of the West Faith community in worship especially. And you're like, you know, okay, so I get that there is this, this presence, this love, God. I understand that God exists and, and I, I grasp that, that there is something bigger than I am. But that's really where, after that, a struggle. Because you see, I know it exists, but I just can't seem to, to understand or to hear God. I don't understand how to know when God is speaking to me. How do I know that my life is growing in the way of Christ, in the way of Jesus? How do I feel closer to God? How do I know that I'm doing what God would have me to do? So for the next six weeks, as we get figuratively naked spiritually, we're going to explore the how to do that. Now, normally when I preach, I take a biblical passage and I do this fancy word. I like to use it every now and then to impress you. It's called exegete. Uh, Pastors are supposed to do an exegesis of the passage. That's when you go back to the original meaning, the original Greek or Hebrew text, and you try to flesh it out and understand what it means. Normally when I preach, I exegete a particular passage of scripture and try to flesh out all the parts and pieces and share with you the context in which it was written and and all that. And we walk away, I hope, with a bigger understanding of that one passage. For the next six weeks, it's going to be a little different. I'm going to be teaching more than preaching necessarily. And I want us, there are 12 simple words, just 12, that McLaren uses to teach how we can become naked spiritually. I want to show you uh, over the next six weeks, it comes in stages. There's like four different stages that we're going to explore. So I want to show you a picture of what these stages are going to look like. The first one today is simplicity. What we're going to talk about is how to peel away all the, the layers and the stuff, the posturing and the things that we use to protect ourselves and just become simple. Simple before God. Because actually, that's all God asks of us. And the first word that we're going to look at every Sunday, we're going to look at three. The first of the three words today that we're going to look at is the word here. The three words that we use today are are actually very simple words. I'll go and tell you what they are. Here, thanks, and oh. But the first one we're going to look at is here. And we're going to look at this word in the story of Moses. Now, Moses is from the Hebrew scriptures. He's one of the first people of faith that we read about in the scripture. We're going to look at the book of Exodus. It's second, uh, the second book in the Old Testament. Moses was not always one of the most pious leaders. He's actually a murderer. So I want you to keep that in mind. This is a man who has committed murder. And then this happens to him. 
I'm reading from Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw the bush, but he also saw that even though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. I'll go see why the bush doesn't burn up. So when God saw that he had gone over to look at the bush, God called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Here is the acknowledgement of mutual hereness. And when we do that, when we acknowledge that there is a mutual hereness, it becomes the prelude to mutual nearness. And that is what happened with Moses in that time. He sees that this bush is on fire and he notices that the bush is not being consumed by the flames. So he goes over and he hears, he hears his name. Now let's try not to get hung up on the literal nature of scripture. I don't know if there was this booming voice, you know, from the, from the heavens and from the skies going, Moses, you know, James Earl Jones, I always picture or imagine that God's voice would sort of sound like that. Andrea, I have no idea if that's what he heard. But something inside of him, that's something that is inside of him that is also inside of you and me called his name, Moses. Moses. And he had such a simple reply. He said, here I am. That is the first fundamental principle in encountering God and encountering that presence, that voice, that divine, that love. The first thing all of us have to do is we have to get naked and we have to be willing to present ourselves without posturing, without pretenses, without protection, without covering up. And we just have to say here. When we say here, God, who is already there, encounters us in our invoking. It's called invocation. God encounters us in our invoking. So the first rule of prayer, when we feel like there's some kind of blockade between us and the divine, and we feel like God is not speaking to us and we don't hear the booming voice, is to just say, God, hear. God, hear. Here I am. And then... I promise, if we'll wait in silence, not texting, not Facebooking, not emailing, not watching TV, not listening to music, just silence, being alone with our thoughts with God and say, God, here. God meets us in the here, just like he did Moses. And that example is all throughout scripture. Take Jesus, for example, when he 
called the 12 disciples. What had to happen in each instance for him to gather this band of followers together that were not about, you know, proclaiming that there was some new religion on the way. They were ushering in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said his whole mission was about. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Is it near? So come with me and let's go share the good news. Repent means to turn and go another way. So every time that Jesus encountered one of the 12 that became his, his band of disciples, they had to at some point say, here. I looked all throughout the Gospels in preparation for this message, trying to find different stories that I could use to exegete and just take one story and walk all the way through. But you know, there's not a lot of actual physical examples in Scripture where they say here, there's a couple in the Hebrew text and there are some of the healing stories in the gospel narratives that before the healing takes place, the people being healed have to present themselves and say here. But you know what? For all those people to follow Jesus, at first they did have to say here, didn't they? If they did, I think we probably do too. So this morning, my question for us, and not you, us, is where do we need to say here to God? When do we need to say here to God? And then I really do invite you over the next six days before we come back together next Sunday, and if you're not getting the daily devotions, shoot me an email and I'll make sure you get on that list. It's andreaheadingwest.org. We are doing daily devotions to provoke us to thought. How do we grow closer to God by saying here? Moses did And his actions, his willingness to say, God, here I am, it changed history for the Israelite people. I believe when we say here to God, it changes our history as well. And and who knows what the ripple effect may be. I want you to look at this quote from Evelyn Underhill. God is always coming to you in the sacrament of the present moment. So many times in religion, we think it has to be just so. We think we have to have all these formalities and these rituals. And you know what? God is present in the very moment. Every moment is of God. It's called the sacrament of the present moment. The sacrament, the word sacrament means an outward and visible sign of something inward and inward and spiritual grace. So what if we change how we look at time? What if we change how we look at spirituality? What if we change how we can encounter God and understand that God is here, God is now, God is the sacrament of the present moment. Now I want you to take a look at the rest of this quote by Underhill. If we will meet and receive God there in that moment with gratitude, in that sacrament, however unexpected its outward form may be, if we'll receive God and we will receive God in every sight, Sound, joy, pain, opportunity, 
and sacrifice. Now I want to leave this quote on the screen. I want you to take a look at the last two lines of the quote because you see sometimes we think as followers of Christ and worshipers of God that that God is, you know, making bad things happen to us and and I do argue that that is just not sound theology. I do not believe in a magic genie God and I don't believe a God that is, you know, an old man with a long white beard in heaven zapping us when we when we don't do things the right way. So therefore, I do not ever believe that cancer is a punishment for someone who's done something wrong. I've heard people say that over the years, and it grieves my soul. You know, I guess this is happening to me right now because of this, and God is, is punishing me for this, and, and I just don't believe that's that sound theology. We believe in good and evil, and that evil does exist, and that free will exists, and we live into choices that are made, and, and quantum physics, and it's so deep. That's a whole message series all on its own, but I'm telling you all that to say that God is present in every single moment, every moment, in every sight, in every sound, in every joy, And also in every pain and opportunity and sacrifice, you've asked me, how do I know that I'm growing with God? How do I know that my walk is deeper today than it was a while back? Well, the fact that you're even asking that question means that you're growing. We could probably all remember a time that we didn't even really think about God. We, we didn't have that conscience, you know, jabbing us when we say things that are a little judgmental or when we waste money on things that are frivolous and we could have been doing more or when we turn up our noses because we think we're more spiritual than somebody else or we're closer to God or we're doing it right and they're doing it wrong. There's a myriad of things that human beings do that cause us to get in the the way, the path of God. And we hone in on those, don't we? Especially our our own sins. We look at the things that we're doing wrong and we forget to look at the things that we're doing right. So that's part of the beauty of this. If we will understand that God is in every single moment, every moment is a sacrament, a mark of God then every opportunity, every joy, every pain, everything can be of God if we allow it to be. And the way that we do that is by saying, here. And then the other two words that I wanna share with you this morning, they, they sort of go together. They are the words, thanks and oh. And not like, you know, oh well, but the word oh, it's all throughout the Psalms, it's just the letter O. When we present ourselves to God and we say here, God who is already there meets us in that moment and speaks to us and works in us. But then if we want to go to that next place with God, all we have to do is say thanks. And then our minds start to go, thanks for what? And if we can understand that in the sacrament of the moment, in the sacrament of every individual moment, there is something to be thankful for. That's why I invite us to journal for the next six weeks. Even if you only take one minute every night to just write, here I am, God, and thanks. 
I promise in six weeks, you'll feel differently about your journey with God and you'll be able to see that you are indeed growing closer. Thanks. Thanks for what? So for me this morning to make it really real and to show you that I don't have all the answers, I'm not some pious preacher, thanks. Thanks. Here's what my prayers would be if I were to journal them right now. Thanks for letting there be heat on in the auditorium because I always worry when it's really cold that it will outside it'll be cold in here and then you'll get frustrated and you won't come back. Thank you for letting there be body masses out there in the seats. I never know how many people show up on Sunday mornings and so I always feel a little better that I've not killed the church when I see that there are some masses out there. I hear you clap after a song because God's been working in that. Thank you for the people who showed up this morning in 19 degree weather and rolled in all the gray carts because we got all the stuff in in like 10 minutes and nobody really had to get extremely cold. Thank you to all the people who showed up in the tech booth because there's a lot of technology that it takes to make this happen. Thank you to Paul who sang a solo this morning, a first time for him and it was a powerful way of leading into the message. Thank you to the worship team for wearing a bathrobe and to the hospitality. I could go on and on and on, but those seem like little things, but I promise they're not. Those are real things for me. So what right now for you, and I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. What right now for you, can you call upon the image of God, call upon God in your brain, in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, say here, and then thanks. What would you thank God for right now? 30 seconds of silence. Thank God. What do we do when our life is at the bottom of the barrel, when the person that we've loved tells us that they don't love us back, or we go to the doctor and we get a diagnosis that we don't want to hear, or our finances just don't measure up, and you know we have all these bills that are weighing on us and we don't have enough to pay it? What if our friendships are falling apart? What if something has happened to one of our children? What if all those bad things are happening and we just cannot conjure up the the strength to say thanks. I want to show you another quote by McLaren. It's not how much we have that brings happiness. It's how much we appreciate however much or little we have. It's not how much we have that brings happiness. It's how much we appreciate however much or little we have. So what does that mean and how does that tie into the bad things? Bad things are going to happen to absolutely everyone. I don't care how religious you are, how close you are to God, and I don't care how far you are away from God. Bad things happen. But what McLaren and what our historical fathers of faith and what Jesus was trying to teach us about spirituality and connection with God is if we will peel away all the things that we've learned and the things that we think to connect to God and realize that even in the, the worst moments, there is something to be thankful for. So 
you know, this is not the fun part of the sermon because I don't like to walk us through bad things. But I'll use a marriage ending. What happens when a relationship or a marriage comes to a place that it just cannot continue? And the words that are being launched are, are like grenades and they hurt and they strip away self-esteem and all those things that you know, we, we pull together to make us who we are. How do we give thanks to God in that for however much or however little we have like McLaren says? Well, we can thank God that at least we knew what love was once upon a time before things turned bad. We can thank God for the knowledge that love does exist, that the feeling of love does exist. We can thank God that we're alive. And you're like, oh, that's such a bad answer. No, it's actually not. Every day is a gift. Every day is a miracle. So no matter how bad the days are, there are things we can give thanks to God about that will carry us through. So thank you, God. Even though I am in the middle of hell right now, even though it bites to be alive, I know that I've got a shot at making it better. And the worst things are never the last things. And that's the whole season of Lent. That's what the next 40 days are about. We're journeying to Easter. We're journeying to the cross, the cross where the absolute worst thing did happen. Human beings took the life of another human being because of what he stood for and how he represented God and how he shared God. They took his life, but we know the rest of the story and that the worst things are not ever the last things. So I promise in the worst moments, we can always stop and say thanks. And the other word is oh. Oh, the beauty of the earth. Oh, the wonder of the skies. The psalmist writes so many passages that start with oh. It's like, it's almost that element of surprise. Oh, you're here. Oh, you love me. Oh, you heard my prayer. Oh, God, you're so good. Here I am. Thank you. And oh. I shared with you that a few weeks ago, we were going to be presenting at the National Worship Conference. Adam had a session, and I had two. One was the uh, doctorate presentation that I've not written the doctorate, so it made a little bit of a challenge to present the doctorate when it's not written. But, you know, hey, it's on West, so I figured I could at least figure that out. And then the next day, I had been partnered with a professor from Duke. And I was a little intimidated about that at first, but then I thought, yeah, okay, I'm just going to be me. I don't know what else to do. I'll try to read some books and learn some big words and use those in my conversation with him, and surely it will be fine. You think I'm making this up? I really am not. I did try to do word a day and learn it for at least two weeks, and I gave up. I never could remember them. So the first couple of conversations, the Skyping conversations with this professor uh, were fine. He was finishing like his eighth book or something, so that didn't intimidate me at all either. And so we would Skype. The first couple of times, like I said, went well. The third time, I typed up what we had discussed and I sent it to him uh, in a Google Doc so that we could edit it together and be ready for our presentation. And he footnoted his email back to me. Now, you want to talk about being absolutely intimidated? I've never had a footnoted email. 
Like, Dear Andrea, number one, um, what title, you know, I'm, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I really was absolutely overwhelmed. He was way smart, wicked smart, brilliant, actually. In fact, after the Ash Wednesday service the other night, I had the Wesley Study Bible, and that's the Bible I used, and I was looking through the front page, and it had contributors toward this translation. There was his name. I'm like, well, there you go. He has been translating scripture. Of course he has. Of course he has. So I finally just said to him, Lester, I've got to let you know, I don't know if you think I'm contributing absolutely anything to this presentation or not, but I'm trying. And he wrote back and said, I never wanted you to think that way. Why do you think that way? And I'm like, I don't even know what word A, B, C, and D mean. And he said, okay, sometimes I get off in my academic world. I said, okay, good. So we ended up on the same page. We walk into the session at Duke, or not at Duke, at the conference in Raleigh, sorry. We walk into the session to present, and it's, it ends up being standing room only. Our session was called Best Practices and Worst Mistakes of Starting Something New, Starting a New Worship Service. And we had you know, woven out 10 points we were going to share with everybody in that session. Now, I want to give you just one more little side story, a rabbit trail, and then we'll come back to this one. The day before, when I presented with the bishop and Amy my imaginary doctorate thesis, uh, after it was over, we didn't have time for questions. So I didn't know how it went over. Uh, and I'm always nervous about that. So I didn't know effective, not effective, thought we were stupid, thought we were heretics, eh, no clue. So left with lots of uncertainty on that Thursday. On Friday, right before I walked into the room to present with Lester, one of the gentlemen, a pastor from Pennsylvania, came up to me and said, I just wanted to say thank you. I sat through your pre-conference workshop yesterday, and I just wanted to let you know that I hate going to New Church Start Pastor things. I used to go to them a lot earlier on in my ministry, and I never could get anything out of them. So I was sort of hesitant when I saw that you started a faith community or a church, and, but I thought, I'm just going to give it a try and see what this new way of doing ministry is about. And I just wanted to tell you that it really meant a lot, and I have some tangible ideas ideas that I can walk away with and thank you. I was like, oh, wow. Oh, cool. Like we didn't make fools of ourselves and we actually were able to help because that's the whole point of doing those things is to help other people. And I thought, okay, I want to know what was right so I can do it again. So I said, you know, tell me what was it that you got out of it that you wanted that I could do again? And he goes, well, there's not anything. And I thought, well, okay, this is an oxymoron. I have no idea what you mean. And he said, just be you. Just be you. All my mentors in ministry all along have just said, just be you. I've never really known what that means because I know what I think of me behind the curtain. It's sort of like the Wizard of Oz. So the next day we're standing, or a little while later that day, we're standing in the room. There's standing room only. People brought in chairs and there's Lester and myself up front. And it was a dialogue. He would present, then I would present. It was planned that way. 
Halfway through it, he used a word that I had no idea what it meant again. It was dialogical. We were going to do a dialogical analysis of worship and compare the practices in the early contemporary setting and the late contemporary setting and see where the music changed. Okay, I was totally clueless. And I was too embarrassed to say, excuse me, I don't know what dialogical means. Diabolical, yes. <laughs> Which is how I'm feeling right now. But dialogical, no. And so anyway, he made his point and then it was my turn to speak. And we were talking about why do we make this so boring? This is not boring. Some man who killed somebody encountered God calling out to him, Moses. Moses, this man who was not living this pious priestly life, God came to him. If God came to him, God will come to you and you and you and me. So my point was, why do we make church boring? Why do we make scripture boring? I knew my point, but because I got so hung up on the word dialogical, I could not for the life of me remember what I was going to say. And I had even practiced a fancy word. It was called parameter. No, hello. Now I don't even remember. <laughs> I really don't remember whatever it was. It's something when you are talking in your dialogue and pentameter, that's it, pentameter. The pentameter of the language. That was my phrase. I'll never use it again because clearly it does not resonate in my brain. But that was what I was going to say. And I was talking about how we make scripture boring because we stand up here and we read it like this and no one cares if God loved the world that everybody has hope. Nobody cares. If you read it that way, you're going to be asleep within the first 30 seconds if you're not already. But I couldn't remember what to say. So all those hundred whatever people sitting out there, my neck's red because I'm nervous and I can't find my words and I started to stumble. And I'm like, well, well, and see like when I stumble up here like I did a little while ago, you laugh and your laughter gives me grace and it gives me forgiveness. Those people didn't know me. They didn't know laugh so she won't feel like a fool. And it was this awkward silence. And so then, you know what I did? What I do well? I make up words. <laughs> With a professor from Duke standing right beside me. And I saw him look at me with a confused look. And I thought, mm, this is bad. This is so bad. And I was embarrassed. But right out of the corner of my eye in the back of the room, I saw that man who came up to me right before the session and said, just be you. It wasn't what you said. It was how you said it. You're just you. You're just real. But see, I stumbled because I thought I had to be fancy pants. I wanted to use the big words, and that's not my vernacular. That's a big word for me. <laughs> and so I tried to fake it, to get naked spiritually, we don't have to fake it. You don't have to be like me or each other. I don't have to be like brilliant professor from Duke. We all just have to be ourselves. No posturing. No covering up. There is only one ideal. And that ideal is that we present ourselves to divine love. And we can do that by saying here 
thanks, and oh. Will you join me in doing that over the next six weeks here? Thanks, and oh. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have loved all of us in our own individual ways. And we don't have to compare ourselves to one another. We don't have to measure up to one another because you love us for who we are, naked, and we don't have to be afraid. God, we offer ourselves to you now and over the next several weeks, especially as we journey to the cross and to the good news of Easter. Help us to explore our lives and let us see what gets in the way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I never ask you to do something that I don't do. So in order to ask you to journal and do these simple prayers, I did them several weeks ago in preparation for this. On the first day when I did here, you're supposed to do a word a day or a word for two days. Uh, for the first day when I did here, I did it. I said here and then I sat and I fell asleep. <laughs> At first, I was embarrassed about that. And then I kept reading in the book and McLaren said, sleep is okay when you're invoking the name of God because it means you're held in God's peace. I thought, well, that's a beautiful way of looking at it. I invite you all in the next several days and weeks to use those simple words and call on the name of God. I promise it will make a difference. Go in peace. Amen.